and um, I hear the first officer call out. And, and the first officer jumps on the radio and he screams, holy sh! it's the goat man. And I mean, it's just like everything went quiet. My, I, I could hear the ringing in my ears and I could feel my heart race. And so I hit my life and I went flying up there. I'd been told by some old, older people, elders there, you grab them and you hold them and you, you, you don't own them, but you, you hold them there until daylight. If you can hold them or pull it in, pull them into the light, it uh, destroys anything they have, uh, any kind of power or anything that, or anything they were trying to do to you, it'll, it'll destroy them. If you are Native American and you would like to share your experiences with the strange and paranormal, email us at lodgetales at gmail.com. I'd also like to thank all the listeners and the patrons. Without you guys, this show wouldn't be possible. Thank you. If you like what we do, please consider becoming a member on Patreon. If you don't like that idea, you could also do a one-time donation. It just helps us to keep producing this content. Most listeners on YouTube, it's 95% are not subscribed to Lodge Tales. Go ahead and you know subscribe. It don't cost anything. Give it a like if you like it. All that does is help us get our show in front of more people. Okay, thank you. Hello and welcome to Lodge Tales. Thanks for joining us. We have a, a guest who was an ex-cop who was um, on the beat there in Browning on the reservation. Um, he has a lot of stories he'd like to share. Uh, stick stick around toward the end because that's when he talks about the goat man. If any of y'all haven't heard of this thing, then here's your chance. First time to count two of them, as a matter of fact. So, without any further ado, let's get into the show. So, the next uh, guest on our show is uh, Mike Conley. He's a friend of mine. We grew up together in his dad was a cop there. Um, they lived at the houses down there in boarding school, where I would attend boarding school. So he played, you know, he'd come over and play with us and we'd mess around. Anyways, later on in life, we end up joining the army. I left the Marines, went to the army. He went to the army. <laughs> Lo and behold, he showed up at my unit one day. We served together. So this guy is Mike Conley. Go ahead, Mike. Tell a little bit about yourself and uh, let's, let's hear your stories. Well, hello, podcast land. Uh, not much to say. I worked in law enforcement on a reservation for quite a few years, and I've seen a lot of things that people don't want to see that aren't real, and um, I participated, I guess you could say, chasing bad things. So, uh, as Ross said, we grew up together. Um, served together. And he's heard a few of my stories here and there, but everything I've, I've witnessed most of the time was uh, after the military when I was in law enforcement. So, uh, I mean, one story that comes to mind for me uh, is it was uh, years ago as a young travel cop. That's probably maybe about a year in. 
<clears throat> and uh, I arrested, well, I stopped, uh, I pulled this car over, I was running traffic on 464, and I was traveling, going uh, southbound on 464, back towards Browning. And I come across this car that was speeding, so I let it up, pulled it over. Uh, lo and behold, it was my sister and her now ex-boyfriend. Uh, he was intoxicated, and uh, my sister was pregnant. She had her other daughter with her, and um, so I arrested her man. Uh, when uh, she ended up driving the car home, of course, mad at me, whatever, and uh, she ended up driving the car home, and I took her man to jail. I was in a back officer's room, and I was processing my the DUI, him, and uh, this DA. Back then, it was BIA and tribal. We had a BIA supervisor, there was cops, and then tribal police officers. And um, so Sean Morgan was one of the BIA sergeants. And he come walking out, and I said, where are you going, Sean? He's like, oh, I got a call on Hausman. <laughs> and uh, I said, oh. I said, what is it? And he said, I don't know. Somebody's trying to get in Danny Conlon's house. And I was like, oh, shit, that's my sister. So uh, I hurry up and I processed my DUI. I, I, I couldn't leave. And they was coming out there and I was listening on the radio. Um, I got my DUI put in the back and I, I tenated and I headed north for her house. She lived out on that old Pepian house on top of Windy Ridge, a log house on the right side of the road, probably about 15 miles north of Browning on 464. And so I started out that way. Um, and I heard uh, Sean call out there, and I was I was cruising along trying to get up there, my sister and whatnot. And um, I heard Sean Morgan call out, and so I was waiting. And he was he was out of the vehicle for a bit, and a few other officers headed out there. Um, when uh, and then all of a sudden um, he ten aided, and I just kept going because I was gonna check on my sister and. He tenated and he said that uh, there was nobody around, nobody in the house, just my sister and my niece. And so I just decided to keep going and check on her. And Sean pulled out, probably got about a quarter mile away. I met up with him and uh, the dispatcher come over and said, we got another 911 call from Danny Collins. She said somebody's trying to get into her back, the back of her house. And uh, the dispatcher said, you could hear banging on the walls. And so... I turned on my lights and we hauled ass that last quarter mile and I went skidding in there, me, Sean Morgan, and uh, I want to say Matthew was here. <clears throat> and uh, my sister come running out and she was just, I mean, you, she had her baby and uh, you could see the fear in her eyes. Um, she was just pale white and I threw open my back door in my cop car and she bailed in there and she was just crying. She was crying hard and I was like, what's going on? And uh, she said, there's somebody banging on the back of my walls. And I said, right now? And she said, yeah. So Sean Morgan went around the back and he, went, and he said, there's nothing back there. He said, there's not even any footprints because it was wintertime in the snow. He said, there's no footprints in the snow. He said, there's no tire marks. He said, there's nothing back there, Mike. I said, all right. And well, Danny said, well, I called dad. He said, he's coming out and uh, we're just going to go stay with mom and dad for tonight. And I said, all right. I said, we'll wait for you. I said, you want to get some stuff? And she said, yeah. 
And so I called Matthew O'Gare over and I said, let's go in there. Because I honestly, I was scared. I was like, I go in there by myself. And uh, it was just, I just had that feeling, you know, how you can, uh, you can feel those spirits, those bad ones. They, you feel the pressure around you. That's what I, that's what I felt. Um, so anyways, uh, I took my sister in there and left my niece in the back of my patrol car. Me and Matthew walked inside with the, with my sister, Danny, and uh, you could see my dad and them coming down the road. They just popped over to Husband Hill, probably about two miles away. And so we go inside and we're walking through her house and we're checking the closets, the doors, you know, what cops do and somebody says somebody's banging, you know, might be inside the house banging. So we found a few crawl spaces. We opened them up and we left behind curtains and under beds. Basically just searched her whole house trying to see if there was anybody in there. At the same time, she was packing her clothes and um, her and her kid were clothes. And so we ended up uh, waiting for her after we cleared the house. And there was just this, uh, I don't know, I get I got goosebumps now, but when you're standing in there, you could feel, it just felt like something was like breathing down the back of my neck. And I turned away from that room and I looked back and I walked away. And uh, I kind of walked around into the kitchen area, and Matthew could see something was wrong. And uh, he said, what's wrong? And so I told him about that time, Danny, my sister, come walking down the hall. And all of a sudden, on that back wall, you heard this. I mean, you could you could hear the banging. It was shaking the house. It was banging on the wall. It felt like, sounded like somebody was kicking it and hitting it. And, and not just one person, like 10, 15 people just banging on the side of the house. <clears throat> and uh, I jumped on the radio and I told Sean they're back there. And my sister went screaming out the door and me and Matthew followed her. And uh, Sean was in the back and he's like, I was back here the whole time. He said, there was nobody back here. And I just, I got chills all over again. And and I put my, about that time, my dad and my brother-in-law, Josh Bird, pulled up. And uh, my sister got her stuff loaded in, her, in my dad's pickup. And she said, well, you go lock that door. And I honestly didn't want to go back in that house. The way the house was set up was uh, there was a long entranceway with the door on the far the east end of the house. And then you walk in, and then it's all enclosed entryway. And... Uh, entry door to get in the house is on a west end and so you had to walk through that long entryway which was dark all the way down to the door and then lock the door and so I said Matthew come with me and he, he said no and I was like come on man he's like well I'll stand at that door he said I'll wait for you and I was like all right so I walk in and I mean it you know going to gun calls and all kinds of vicious stuff and that uh, I was scared to walk down the hall and none of that stuff ever scared me so I make my way down that hall and I get to that door and it's a, it doesn't have a key it's a uh, padlock and her padlock was just right inside on a little bench and uh, that door was sitting there open I was breathing hard and my heart was racing and I didn't know what to do and so I kind of pushed the door open and looked around and there was nobody in that house there was not a not a living soul was in that house 
Um, and I reached around and I grabbed that paddle off really quick and I slammed that door. And just as I went to uh, put the clasp on for the paddle lock, that door ripped open again. And I screamed and jumped back and I grabbed my gun. I don't know why. Um, got super dosed. And uh, <laughs> have it, I guess. And But I grabbed it again and I slammed it and I, I, I got that uh, clasp locked on that paddle lock. And I locked it and I turned and then something hit that door. And I said, the hell with this? And I took off running. It's probably about a 30 foot little sprint. And I went smoking down that hall and I could hear somebody just stomping behind me and I went blowing out that door. Right after I'm blowing out that door, that door slammed shut. And I was like, holy shit. And so my sister headed out while Sean Morgan headed out. My dad got in behind him and Matthew fell in behind my dad and then I got in I was the last car to leave <clears throat> and uh, that uh, we was going down the road and we probably just got down the other side of Cosman uh, Hill and my XM radio went out and started going squelchy and um, I tried to call on my radio my regular radio asked Matthew if he had any service and my radio wouldn't work and about that time, something started banging on the cage of my car. And I I screamed, I leaned forward, and I turned on all my lights. And then my radio started working, and Matthew said, what's wrong? And I said, somebody's in the back of my car. And he said, well, get up beside me. He said, I'll shine my light in there. So we're running down the road, probably about 70. And he kicks on his alley light when I pull up beside him, roll down that back window, and uh, something slams in the side of his car from the window that I down and he stopped and well almost stopped and then he took off and then I took off and then it went away we went down and we got to my mom and dad's house and uh went and smudged up our cars and shit so that was probably one of the most scariest well close to one of the scariest calls I've ever been on wow so it was this banging on both your cars at that point well, and what I kind of figure is once I rolled down that window, whatever was in the back of mine jumped out and tried to get his, and his window or the door wasn't open, and it slammed off the side of his car. I mean, and I could visually see his car left in shape when it, when it, whatever it was hit it. But nothing on his was open, so I rolled mine up quick, and we got out. You know, and that brings me up to another story. Um, those things jumping in with you. Uh, we went out to Hart Butte on a call. I was a juvenile officer then, probably about 2006-ish. And uh, there was me and David running at it. And we went out to this, uh, there was graduation for Hart Butte. We went out to this party, got a call for a bonfire party and whatnot. And so we ended up going out there. And um, so of course, we got there, all the kids scattered and took off, and as they usually do. Um, so we watched and made sure everybody got away safe and Orland Deborah was a travel cop and uh, so we started following him in and I was just joking around and I was like hey Orland someone's in the back of your car or I said who's in the back of your car he said I don't know he said pull over we were just climbing out of two medicine on that one he said I don't know pull over he said let's look and so we was in the middle of climbing that big steep hill coming out of two men on round one and um, that uh 
he jumped out of his car and I pulled up beside him and he opened his back door and then he opened my back door and he said, get out with me and get in with Mike. And then he slammed both doors and he jumped in and took off. And, and David Running Rabbit was sitting there looking back there. And it just like an eerie feeling. And uh, you could uh, you could uh, just feel something, like something bailed in there. It was really creepy. And so we get to drive into town. We get to town, we drive around, and we get another call out to RQ. So me and David, it was juvenile call. So me and David, we uh, we head out there, and by the time we get out to Harbutte, everybody's gone. And so we're driving back in, and, and David says, uh, he says, "Oh, what would you do if uh, what would you do if you looked in that back seat and somebody was sitting there?" And I, I didn't hear him all the way. I thought he said, "Look at somebody's in the back seat sitting there." So I started screaming, and I pulled myself all the way up to the steering wheel, trying to get away from the back part. And I looked back and there was an old woman sitting in that back corner and she had long black flowing hair, but it was like it hasn't been combed in, I don't know, a few months, kind of ratty-like. And then she had on a long black uh, ratty torn dress. And I said, I told David, I said, close that, close that window on that cage. And he, you know, he's cussing back and forth and he's trying to crawl under the dash. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at this old woman, and she's just sitting there calm with her head down. And her hands were in her lap. Um, and uh, he, uh, David was practically laying on the floor trying to crawl up underneath the dashboard, and I was screaming at him to close that window. And we're doing all this, running 70, 80 miles an hour down the road. And uh, we're arguing back and forth, and she just sits there. And I said, close that fucking window. Sorry for the language. <laughs> but, uh, and so I reached back and I slammed that. That uh, It was a sliding glass window between our cages and the back seat. And I slammed it shut. And I don't know if that got my spirit's attention, but all of a sudden she sat up and she just had this dead, dead face. Like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like, no emotions kind of thing. And then she just screamed. And she went out the back door. At 70 um, miles an hour? Well, we kicked her up to about 120 after that. And so we were smoking down the road, and we got back to town, and we got out, and we wouldn't get back in that patrol car for probably about a good 45 minutes to an hour. It was, uh, it still felt like something was in there, you know? Was it an Indian woman in there? Yeah, it was an old, it was an old Indian woman, you know, like from back in the day, like they did have their hair combed, like, you know what I mean? Like one of, to me, it looked like one of the old ladies in mourning kind of thing, you know? Oh, I see. Yep. And so I don't, I don't know if that's what Orland picked up out in that field and, you know, cause that South country, that's where we all, that's where all our people died, you know, back in the day. And I don't know if he picked her up someplace out there. Well, you know, that's uh, years ago. I picked up a, uh, I picked up a little kid out there in my patrol car. And I, I mean, he wasn't alive, but um, I went out for a call. I think it was a cow hit by a car. And it was on that Route 1 on the other side of Morning Gun. Around that morning, then uh, Sanctador Flats, just on the other side of Sanctador's there. 
and um, it wasn't nothing serious. But, you know, <laughs> um, I had my back door open uh, for my uh, accident kit was, I guess you could call it, my camera and uh, all of that stuff. So I had that back door open because I was out taking pictures of the cow and I was waiting for the wrecker and everything to show up. Everybody was fine. It wasn't a violent wreck or anything. And um, I left that back door open. I taken my pictures and I started walking back towards my patrol car because my pictures were done. And uh, just I almost got to that door, the back door, and then it slapped shut. There was no wind, and so I tried to convince myself there was wind, there was something closed it, and so it didn't work very well, but I ended up putting my stuff in there and kind of got that eerie feeling kind of thing, and um, Wrecker showed up, and so I Wrecker took the vehicle, moved the cow off the road, and I um, I 10 it, and I started back towards the cow. And, uh, you know how... When a little kid's sitting on a fence and they're just like swinging their feet because they can't touch the bottom. And so this this is how it was. I could feel something back there and it would just kind of kick my cage. Cages are metal so they make a lot of noise. And I figure it was maybe an older kid because, you know, back in the day they had those uh, hard-soled shoes. You know, the leather ones with the hard leather tips around them. And because it would clank every time it hit my cage. And so at first, I, um, at first, I, uh, oh, sorry, I'm driving. Um, at first, I, it, it really creeped me out. And because it would just kick it nonstop really fast. And, uh, I jumped out and I opened my door and I could get out. And, but it just, it wouldn't leave. So I ended up closing my door. And, um, well, I thought it left, and I'd go a little ways, and it would be fine. So I just got back down, and I called Josh Bird. He was our uh, shift supervisor, I think, at the time. And I said, hey, I said, uh, jump in with me. Ride with me and see if you hear the sound. I was trying to put it off. There's uh, something wrong with the vehicle, you know? So I uh, he jumped in, and we took a couple cruises around town. We went up around Durham. Uh, we come back down and nothing. I was like, oh, I said, all right. I said, well, here, get back in your car. So I put him back in his patrol car and I finished patrolling. Maybe, uh, it was probably, I don't know, maybe an hour or two later. And, um, um, it was maybe an hour or two later and Josh is behind me. And, you know, cops, we like, we like to mess with each other and scare each other and shit like that. And uh, he got on a radio and he said, hey, he said, uh, he said, hey, two, two, eight, eight, oh, five, or whatever his number was. He said, what, uh, I said, he said, where'd you pick that little kid up at? I said, what little kid? He said, that little kid standing on your back seat. And I kind of laughed it off. I was like, whatever. And I looked back there. I didn't see anything. And um, he was. And I waited for a minute for him to say I jokes or something, and nothing came. And so I pulled over, and he pulled in beside me, and he said, hey, he said, he said, where'd you pick that little kid up? And he was serious, and I said, what little kid? He said, that little kid standing up on your back seat. <laughs> I kind of got, I was like, what? <laughs> I, 
turned on my lights and I looked back there and there was nobody back there. He looked back there, we decked it back in. There was no little kid and then Josh's face just went pale white and he was like, he said, Mike, he said, there was a little kid standing on your back seat. He said, I seen him playing his day. He was standing there waving at me. And we just kind of got quiet for a while. And I, you know, what do I do? So I got in and I finished patrolling and um, he would start really kicking that, that cage really hard, getting really loud and whatnot. And finally I was like, hey man, I said, uh, I said, it looks like we're stuck together because you're not getting out. I said, but you need to chill out on the kicking of that cage. I said, it's really hard for me to drive. And he did. Uh, he would just, he would swing his legs, but in a soft manner. It wasn't hard swinging, nothing. He just kind of barely kick it enough to make noise and be annoying. I uh, I don't really know what happened with him after that. Um, that that car got traded off to uh, Sean Heavy Runner, so I don't know if he ever had anything happen with him. Yeah, and so well, he actually ended up crashing that top car. He hit a cow out on uh, that old agency road. And so he actually ended up crashing that, and that uh, he hit that cow uh, on one of his nights going home. And I, I don't know how true it is, but uh, one of the other cops told me that uh, he was distracted because something started kicking his cage. So I never did get to talk to Sean after that. I mean, I went to work at the sheriff's office, and he wasn't a he he, he took that hit, and then. Uh, he wasn't a cop much longer after that. And so I never got to confirm this story if that's what actually happened. I mean, it makes sense. Hey, back to that first story you were talking about. I have a few questions. Yeah. So when the one cop was in the very back and you and the other one were in the house and all it sounded like 10 people going off banging on it, he didn't see anything or hear anything at that time? Nope, he didn't hear nothing. He said he heard a scream on the inside. Um, he didn't. He didn't hear any banging. He didn't see anything. And I even walked back at one point, and I looked because I didn't believe him. I mean, I I couldn't see how there was no footprints in the snow. You know, I I couldn't see how from being inside the house and hearing it. I I couldn't see how um, it was possible. And when I went back there, there was there was snow all the way up to the house, and there was a big snowdrift, and there's nobody on the roof. There's no way to get on the roof, and there was no tracks or anything inside that snow, not all the way around the house. Probably 20, 2012, really bad snowstorm. We had people get lost. One died. Um, but the kid who walked out said that some guy was walking with him the whole way. And that happened out on that road, too, just on the other side of uh, Milk River. Another road that there's a lot of scary stories on, too. It's that seven-mile lane. You know? that one is- yeah, that, that uh, I, I, I traveled it maybe twice in my careers in law enforcement, and that was both times was with my dad. And I was sure glad because there was some stuff that happened, you know. We had a we had a car come 
it was kind of crazy, and I've never seen this before, but we I've heard the stories, you know. Everybody has their seven-mile lane story. Every cop, every tribal cop has a seven-mile lane story. I, You know, I never, it was always this car comes flying by you or this car coming straight at you and it drives through you and this old uh, wagon with a, a lantern on it comes walking by you. You know, those kind of stories. And I could never, I could never imagine having a car coming at you as fast as it can and then going through you until one night it was Harview Prom, probably 90, 98, 99. And I was riding with my dad and we was out in uh, Harview and we was looking for parties and uh, the high school parties to break them up. And so uh, he's like, you ever been down Seven Mile Lane? And I was like, no. I said, I really don't want to either. And he's like, well, come on. He said, we'll go check it out. And so we headed down. And we went down across Blacktail and went down and jumped on Seven Mile Lane and we started driving down it. And he just started telling me stories about uh, other cops that this happened to. And uh, about that time, these headlights popped over a little hill. And there's don't think nothing of it, just another car coming our way and we're going that way. All of a sudden, it's getting closer and closer and it's coming towards us. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm tightening up and I have my seatbelt on and I'm pushing back in my seat because I can it, I can see it coming head on for us. And about that time, this car just comes smoke, these headlights just come smoking through us. It got bright, it got really cold inside that car. And when he looked in the mirror, all he seen was taillights and dust. <laughs> Me and my dad looked at each other, and he turned around, and we headed back for town. We didn't speak a word of it. Did it smell anything? No, I, I don't really remember if there was a smell. What I do remember was uh, the cold. It was, cause, uh, it was, it was spring here on the res, so. You know, it's still like 30, 40 degrees, so he had his heat on. And um, it, it didn't smell anything, but when it come through and it passed through, it was just this ice-cold, chilling feeling kind of thing, you know? It was like the windows got rolled down, and all that cold wind come rushing in, and then as soon as it passed through, it's like the windows went up, and there was nothing there. How about that Durham Road? Do you know any stories about that Durham Road? Oh, yeah. I got a story about Durham Road. That comes in, uh, I don't ever really say it, but it's more of a go-man kind of thing to me. Um, while back, uh, I was a deputy. I was a deputy. And, uh, I was out patrolling, and another deputy called me, and he was like, Hey, he said, uh, I need to get out of this house. Come pick me up. And I said, all right. So I went out and I picked him up. And it was a slow night. Nothing really going on. And I said, where do you want to go? He said, he said, it don't matter. He said, let's just drive. And I was like, all right. We can do that. And so we head up US 2 in the East Glacier side. And um, we, uh, I said, let's go check them. It was a slow Friday night. Let's go check there. We'll see if we find anybody parked out there drinking. I said, okay. So I turned and I had a Durango. It was an 
older model Durango ended up crashing it a while later, but um, it was one of the older sheriff's office Durangos, and I really liked the car, nice and speedy. And so we go down and we pass Black Eagles, and we come up on uh, the train tracks, and me and him were just kind of visiting. We crossed the tracks, and we passed stunt caps, and you know, right, right after you pass stunt caps, it turns back to the right in that little corner and you start climbing that little hill right at that bottom kind of and so we got right there and we just topped that hill and this thing i i don't know how to explain it i mean i do and i don't i guess but it was it was really creepy but this thing it took like it was standing up on its back uh back legs and it was standing upright, but it was tall and it come running out in front of us, but it only took like three steps to cross from one side of the fence to the other. That's how big it was. And it stepped uh, it stepped over that fence. And when it crossed right in front of us, I slammed on my brakes and then it stepped, it didn't jump or anything. It stepped over top of that fence and headed out that field and I turned uh, into the ditch facing with my lights and I hit my um, top lights so my camera re would record. The nice thing about those uh, gas car cameras is they record um, everything a minute prior. So a minute prior to what happened, it recorded all of that all the way up until the event that happened. And then a minute passed after you turn your lights off. And so I wanted to catch it on video because when it come in front of us, it was hard to explain. Um, it had the bottom half of an animal, and the upper half of a man, and the side of its head, it had a, you know, when you shine your lights on a deer or any animal's eyes, it, they glow, they have that reflection in them. This one, it was, it was like a big, big eye reflection on the side of its head. And, um, he stepped across uh, right in front of us and my lights hit that. And that's what I remember. One of the biggest things is how his body was shaped and he had his hoofs and his bottom half was a man and that eye was reflecting it. That it only took him like three steps to cross that whole road. And, uh, so anyways, um, and once uh, I looked at Lester and I shut my lights off and me and Lester looked at each other and he was like, holy shit, what was that? And I was like, it's the goat man. And he was like, no. And I was like, man, I said, there's, there's, there's no other explanation. I said, you've seen that, right? And he's like, yeah. I said, well, I recorded it with my lights. I said, let's go look. And we backed up. We hauled ass off of Durham and we got down to the county shop. And the, the sad thing was, is I had that, um, I had an old camera system. So sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But this time it worked, but sometimes you couldn't download the video and so we're sitting there and uh we find the event and we got a little tv monitor and sure sure as shit there it is uh goat man running across in front of me and lester gray and uh <laughs> we i mean we didn't we both got creeped out he told me bring me home and i said no i said you're gonna ride with me till my shift's over i said i'm riding with myself now so we showed everybody we could, and everybody who'd watch and believe us, they didn't believe us, and then they'd see it, and they'd be like, holy shit, that's a goat man. Um, that video stayed on that camera system until I crashed it, and uh, I 
I tried my damnedest to get that video off, but I could never get it off. It just it just would never download. It would download the video before it and the video after it, but it never download that video. And so I I'd want to say that's probably my second encounter with the goat man. That was Durham. No, that's common. I I've been hearing that more and more no matter what people get these things on and is it just something about it? They won't, they, you, you can't get them off of there, or, or there's some sort of odd thing that happens. I caught an EVP one time. A girl, walk, a woman walked into the college, slammed her hands down on the desk, and screamed, Get out. Nobody was even in there during that class. I was listening to my notes going to Billings after that, and I heard her on there. But that, that little device, once I took the batteries out, it lost everything. Yeah. yeah there's always something like that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. That's why, you know, you hear these people who try and catch things on the cameras and whatnot. It doesn't. It doesn't work. So that goat man, like, how tall would you think it was? I would say, I, I mean, just from the video and estimating, I'd say at least seven foot standing straight up. Jeez, was he like big, like a strong guy? Uh you know, I was pretty well panicked by the time that all happened, and. The one thing that I do recall was uh, was um, um, that eye. You know, that's what I was focused on. And then when you looked at those cameras, ain't the best cameras in the world. Um, oh, but the eye was on the side of his head? But the eye was on the side of his head. Sorry, I was getting upset. But the eye was on the side of his head. Those cameras aren't the best in the world. You can't see too great of a detail, but some skin, you know what I mean? Um, he had arms. They were long. I mean, it was long. He had, like, fingernail long fingers, you know? And he was, I'm, I want to bet he was at least seven foot tall. You know, it took him a few steps, and he was across that road like it was nothing. You know what, like, what did his, how did his, how did it transition on his legs? Was it just fur than skin? Bare skin? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, you said that was the second time. What was the first time? <laughs> uh, this one's a little more, uh, I don't know. I don't tell this one too often. Um, he's a travel cop, and we was all brand new. Fresh out of the academy kind of stuff, and there was uh, four of us. I'm not going to name the other one, but uh, we got this call. Um, it was from a lady in Chinatown, and she told us, she said, there's horses on her porch. And uh, she wanted us to chase them off. They tried to get a hold of housing security. No housing, housing security wasn't answering. And so one of the other travel cops went up there. And of course, it was in a very busy night, so we all just kind of converging up there there's me and three other officers um and i'm just passing by uh douglas gold not the elementary and um i hear the first officer call out and and the first officer jumps on the radio and he screams holy shit it's the goat man and i mean it's just like everything went quiet and my i, I could hear the ringing in my ears and I could feel my heart race, and so I hit my light, and I went flying up there. 
here, when I stopped that hill, um, right almost to the swimming pool, you can see all the way down. And you remember that old rodeo arena they had down there on Beepo Coolie. And there was that road there, and um, you could see all the way down. And just as I topped there with my lights on, that other top come out of that, this thing come running out the same way. And it was just taking big leaps and strides, and it turned, it come out, it come out by the end of Rodeo Drive, and it turned and it headed for Depot Cooley. And uh, the cop was right behind it, had his lights on, chasing it. And uh, I looked behind me, and I had two more cops behind me, and so the initial officer stayed right behind it. I went, um, I went to the right side of Depot Cooley, and the other cop crossed all the way across one on the left side and we're we're running up the sides of Depot Cooley. There's a four wheeler trail that goes up the middle. And that's what the goat man uh, was calling that. That's what the goat man was running on and that, so that cop had his uh Ford expedition and he was keeping up with him. And us other two we were skirting them on, on top of the Cooley sides on both sides and we got our spotlights on them and all that cop could say on the radio was, holy shit, it's the goat man. And, I mean, it, radios were going in and out, and everything was cutting out, you know? And so we go flying up, and um, lights going. We don't we don't know what we're going to do or why we're chasing it or what, but there's that old, uh, there's that tunnel that goes underneath the, um, the tracks at the end of... Uh, at the end of Depot Cooley, you know, where all the water comes through and the canal, I guess you call it. Cement, it's, it's larger and you can never see through the other side. And when I was a kid, my dad used to tell me that's where all those devil worshippers would go and that's where the goat man would hide out and, you know, that's where everybody would go. To, and so, and, you know, that's where we're going. And so they probably... Uh, felt like forever, but it probably only took maybe about a minute and a half to get from one end of Depot Cooley to that end. We probably doing about 70 across country. And he run inside that, that canal. He run inside that culvert. And uh, he went in there and you could just see him. He, was, he stopped and it's like he was inviting us in. And he just stood there in the shadows and you could just see him just sitting there staring at you. And well, there's one of them. <laughs> he stopped. He stopped at the beginning, and because uh, you couldn't go right up to it, we all had a spotlight on it, and we was on each side, and um, we're sitting there staring down there, and you just feel this weird vibe coming out of there. You could just feel him staring at you, you know. And so we all telling each other, "Go in there. You go in there." So finally, I was like, let's leave him alone. And so we backed up and left. And uh, we all lived to tell that story. I don't know if they ever tell it. I, I don't tell it very often. It's probably one of my scariest ones that, that really um, really took a toll on me, I guess you could say. Jeez, did you have a lot of, yeah, I imagine you had a lot of nightmares over that, huh? Oh, yeah. Jesus. I don't know how that would... Do. I mean, you could say all these things you are. I'd rope that, god darn. <laughs> I'd shave his beard. I don't know what what I'd do. I swear, man. I'd, I'd... Yeah, it's a, 
it's a different animal once you see it. But, uh, that was probably, that was my only two encounters with it. My, and, you know, I, I stayed away from the horse calls and whatnot that come in around Rodeo Drive and, um, Chinatown. You know, but there's, there's plenty of other stories that happened, uh, uh, with, you know, they say the goat man's the devil and, you know, there, we, there's plenty of other stories, um, that say the devil's right around that depot coulee and the train tracks and that, uh, snow shed. So, uh, I was a deputy and, um, probably early 2013. And I got a, a driving cop, travel cops were busy. And so they called the sheriff's office and they said they had a guy on, uh, the bridge. Uh, Snowshed was stepping out in front of cars and then jumping off the road and then jumping in front of cars and jumping out. And they had four or five 911 calls and they had no officer crew. They asked if I go up and check it out. So I said, yeah, I'll run up there. And so I head up US2 and I get top of, uh, I get to the top of, uh, snowshed and there's this tall, slender man. I want to say six, seven feet tall. He's a, he was tall. Um, he had on a big hat. He had on a black trench coat. And, uh, when he seen me, I turned my lights on. And he kind of stepped over the edge of that bridge, and I thought he jumped, you know. I'm like, oh, shit, this guy committed suicide. And so I turned, I called dispatch, I let him know. I turned down where that water tower is to get underneath that train trestle or that bridge on the US-2. And I go around, and at that uh, Burlington Northern Road there that they used to drive the tracks. And so I turned down there, I got my lights on, and I pull up to the tracks, go through that gate, and I turn right, and as soon as my lights hit over there, there he is, he's standing there, and you know that, uh, the Marlboro man, how he stands on those pack of cigarettes, with one leg up, one down, and he's smoking a cigarette, well, that's how this guy was standing, he, uh, he was just standing there, and he's smoking a cigarette, and he, he turned his head really slow, and he just kind of looked up at me, and and he looked back and looked down and um so I went pulling up there and driving up there and I kicked off my red and blue lights and I just turned them onto the back and I just had my bright lights on and I could see him. And I'm driving up there, you know, I was gonna ask him, you know, what's going on, you all right, so on and so forth. And uh when I got up almost to him by that uh pillar, I didn't want to get out of my car because I scared shitless. And uh I pulled up to that pillar and he just kind of slithered around to the side of it. Like, you know how a shadow when light hits it and it goes around the other side of the object that it's on? That's kind of how he looked like he slithered around that side. And so I pulled up and I uh, rolled down my window and I kicked on my alley light and there was nobody there. And so I kind of backed up a little bit and there was nobody there. So then I had to get out and check, you know, the law enforcement officer, I got to make sure that they're injured, they get the help they need. So I get out with my flashlight and I walk around those pillars and uh, there's nobody there. 
And then I kind of heard this little chuckle behind me and I was like, nope. And I jumped in my cop car and I said negative contact and I cleared. <laughs> Never again. But when he looked at me, um, he had this weird smile. Um, I, it's easier to explain it now because they come out with a movie called Smile. Is that how it was? Yeah, you know, that big grin? That's what he had. And I watched that movie, and that's the only thing I could think of was that man standing under there looking at me, smiling like that, and then going back to smoking. That was Mike Conley Jr. He'll be joining us in the near future for more stories. That was supposed to be a 10-minute call turned into that. So yeah, we'll have to do more of his. There might even be a part three, who knows. But our next guest is going to be Clifton Bullshoe. And uh, he talks a lot about you know spirits around Browning and at that lake again and that ranch house. Yeah, stay tuned for him. He's going to have a lot of stuff. I'd like to cover a few other things here um there's other podcasts that i've listened to that kind of helped me get here one of them is strange familiars without strange familiars i don't think i would even be here timothy renner over there that runs that he kind of guided me through this whole process of doing a podcast um, I'm, I'm really appreciative toward him thank you timothy renner strange familiars also if you like these podcasts like this um there's a few out there that I kind of touch on and I, and I like to listen to. I'll share those with you. Strange Dominions has a really good episode, number 37. Check that out if you want, all you natives. It's a really good one. Blurry Creatures is a group of guys who basically cover uh, what the, in the Bible they call Nephilim. They're like giants and stuff. Well, they cover all of that stuff in there. There's a podcast called Ghost Furnace. And this guy talks a lot. He interviews a lot of people. They go over a lot of stuff about the strange paranormal. He's, he's a pretty good guy, too. Um, another podcast is Otherworld. Otherworld is a really good one. Y'all ought to check that one out, too. Um, if you want some of the stuff overseas, uh, there's Monster Fuzz. There's some Irish guys. They do a lot of kind of comedy and strange paranormal podcasts, too. They're fun to listen to. There's a guy named Brother Richard. Look out for him on Strange Familiars. There's some episodes with him. Um, some of them might be patron episodes. He talks... Uh, he, I don't know how to describe it. He talks like an elder. I mean, that's the only way to describe him. But he's a monk over in Ireland. I think they call themselves Francescans. But yeah, he's a monk. And he, he can talk like an elder. That's all I gotta say. He talks like an elder. Anyways, if you guys are interested in stuff like that, you can go ahead and check those out. Alright, I'll tell next time.